Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. If you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. This summer, we will be having services on Sunday at 8.30, 9.45, and 11.15 a.m. We are located at 65 East Williston Avenue in East Williston, New York. For more information, visit us at visitbeacon.com. See you soon. I am uh, Robert Kelly. I'm one of the pastors here. If you've been around the last few weeks, I do belong here. Like, I don't know what's going on. Trevor and I, we haven't been around. So uh, Chris has been uh, holding down the fort, and apparently he's moved us or something like that. I heard uh, something when I was gone. Um, so uh, very exciting times, and uh, we'll be giving you all sorts of information about the upcoming months as things go on. Anyway, let's jump in, because I want you to meet uh, Haemophysalius uh, longicornis. This is an important critter for you to meet, uh, because for the first time in 50 years, America has a new tick species. Yay! Right? Aren't you so excited? It's the East Asian longhorn tick, and uh, we really needed another species of tick, right? Uh, this tick is sweeping the nation, we've heard. It is uh, particularly found in the eastern seaboard, especially in heavily populated suburbs of New York City. So if you know anyone in a heavily populated suburb of New York City, you should let them know about this tick. It's got a few really unique characteristics as far as ticks go. It can, uh, a colony of them can bleed a host completely dry. It can take a, a livestock animal and bleed them completely dry in a short period of time. Impressive. It also reproduces without a mate. Only one is needed to establish a colony in a new area. They can survive harsh winters, unlike most tick species. And can kill up to 15% of its human victims. So, I uh, tell you this this morning for only one reason. Not to raise awareness and not to encourage responsible hiking or anything like that. I tell you this because I want you to worry. That's, that's why I'm telling you it. I, I, I just, I, I want you to worry. I want you to get in the right frame of mind for the message that we're going to be having this morning for our topic. So um, I'm really hoping that it's starting to increase that anxiety. Are you, are you sufficiently worried? Like, do you feel that sense, uh, that creeping sense of, of anxiousness starting? No, maybe you don't. Maybe you think, I'm actually not a hiker. I never go in areas with ticks. I don't actually leave my house uh, or barely leave my house. So, so if that's true, then did you know that coffee is most likely a carcinogenic? <laughs> yep, I just read it. I kid you not. And that bagels are at the root of our obesity epidemic in this country. I'm telling you, this is, there is some really dangerous stuff going on. I found out this week that sitting... Sitting, just like you're doing all right now, not me, increases the likelihood of metabolic disease and coronary disorders just by sitting. And if that wasn't enough, did you know that the carpets and, and, the, and the fabric on, on padded chairs like this, they leach chemicals into the air that you breathe? I'm telling you, this, this, is, this whole building is like a ver veritable landmine. It's just, I'm not even sure it's safe to be here. Like, we probably should go home. But your home is no safer. And in fact, car accident deaths are on the rise, so I don't know that it's safe to leave. 
Now, do you have any sense of foreboding coming? Maybe a little bit, hopefully some anxiety starting to build. Not really, of course, but we are an anxious people. Anxiety disorders are now the most common mental illness in the U.S., affecting 40 million Americans, or 18% of the population. And if you go beyond actual diagnosable anxiety disorders, the numbers are even more startling. A new survey shows that Americans' anxiety levels have experienced a sharp increase in the last year, jumping 40% which is on top of last year's jump, which was 37%. Just every year compounding at this crazy high level. And we don't even really know what's causing the anxiety. The New York Times Magazine says, anxiety is the ambient apprehension that terrible things might happen and the physical responses that go along with that. People are expressing profound unease even if they have incoherent or contradictory senses of why or what it is they fear or what should be done about it. It describes an emotion, not an analysis. Now, I'm kind of not in, in uh, any sing single camp politically. I'm not like on that continuum. I might even be on a slightly different axis. But I do find it sadly humorous that both sides of the political spectrum are worriers, right? So you remember the, the hat, the Make America Great Again? You could change it a little bit here if you wanted to because when Trump supporters were asked why they were in Trump's camp, he, they, many of them don't say, hey, let's make America great again. You'd think they would with the slogan being so popular. They actually think that the Donald will make them safe again. That's the leading answer that many people give, which means their passion is largely based in fear, which is, of course, no different from the left that now needs trigger warnings on college campuses or safe places for those frail little wisps of students that we're raising that can't handle the microaggressions that are happening all around them. Now, I know this isn't like a great way to start a message, isolate the people on the right, isolate the people on the left, find yourself entirely alone. But hold on with me just, and I understand that, but, but just stick with me here because it doesn't matter where you fall in the political spectrum. Are you worried that billionaires are scooping up all of the money? Or are you worried that creeping socialism is going to tap out all of our hard-earned income? See, it, it doesn't matter. You can, you can be on either side of this, but you're going to worry about it. It doesn't matter what your political orientation is. Are you worried about racist cops? Or are you worried about lawlessness that's, that's overflowing from the ghetto, in, infecting our communities? It doesn't matter. You're going to be worried no matter where you're at. You worried about angry white men with assault rifles? or immigrants that are actually disguised Islamic terrorists looking to blow us sky high on their way to a virgin-filled paradise. I mean, you, you could do this all day long. Take any topic, find out where the, 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 the sides of it are, and you could see what we're worried about in both camps. 
You could throw in climate change or government surveillance or the rise of greedy trillion dollar multinational corporations or social security going bankrupt. It doesn't really matter what your political persuasion is. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, if you're blue collar or you are white collar, if you are black or white or brown. It doesn't matter. Anxiety will often seize you by the throat and refuse to let go. So what is it that you think people worry about? What do you think is going on out there? Go ahead and tell me, tell me what you think people are actually anxious about. What are they worried about out there? Anyone? Retirement. Retirement because, of course, we're not going to have enough money. In the end, now what's going to happen? Years down the road, who knows? With all the, the unknowns out there, it's very dangerous. What else? Health. health. This is a huge one. Their health and, of course, the health of all of the people that they know. One of the leading prayer re requests we get is for health. Huge concern we have. What else? Terrorism. What's that? Terrorism. Terrorism. Yes, because you know it, it's just we've seen it, we lived it, we were all there, we all experienced it in some way. So clearly, this is something that like keeps people up at night. And what are some other? What are we worried about? Kids being safe in schools. Yes, kids. Are they going to be safe? You know, are, can we keep them safe? Is it even? Yeah, you know, bullying and, and social media, and then obviously all the other craziness that's going on. What else? What keeps us up? What worries us? Relationships. Relationships, yeah. So even, and this is this shows up. So Time Magazine, they said, safety, health, and finances seem to be the greatest sources of anxiety according to an American Psychological Association. They say 68% of respondents said that keeping myself or my family safe or my health made them either somewhat or extremely anxious. Extremely anxious. 67% said the same of paying my bills and my expenses. Politics came in at 56%. And if you really need people in your life to depend upon who will help you deal with your anxiety, that's a problem because 48% are worried about their relationships. This is what happens. We worry about losing whatever is important to us, whether it's health, family, money, reputation, security. We worry that we aren't going to be able to control everything in our lives, which of course we can't. And so we worry. And anxiety or worry becomes pervasive and it negatively impacts our lives. It short circuits what we can learn from the past and it robs us of today's joy and it drains tomorrow of any sense of hope. William Falk, he said it like this, our brains respond to perceived threats with a powerful fight or flight response, making adrenaline pour into our veins, our hearts race, our fists clench. Spend too much time in that state, however, and you become neurotic, paranoid, a little unhinged. Sounds like a whole lot of the country right now. Just a little unhinged. Corey Ten Boon famously said it like this, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. And this is why Jesus doesn't want this for his followers. Open, if you would, in the Bible to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. We are still in the Sermon on the Mount, and we are answering this question, the difference that Jesus makes. And we've been doing this uh, for a whole number of weeks here over the summer, and uh, we'll continue to do so for a few more now. And uh, many of the messages have been taken from the Sermon on the Mount, of which Matthew 6, of course, is a part of. And what we're going to see here is that Jesus wants us to be free 
of neurotic anxiety, starting in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So Jesus tells us again and again and again, in a whole lot of different ways, he says, don't worry. We've got to stop, not about your life, your food, your drink, not about your body, the clothes you're actually going to wear. I think if he were telling us today, if he were sitting here and he was saying, you know what, listen, I'm going to teach that same idea to this audience, I think he would tell us, you, got, you can't worry about your health. Don't worry about retirement. Don't worry about your finances. And don't worry about whether you're going to have enough money to put your kids in college. And just don't worry you're all wrapped up in all these anxious pursuits. And don't you know it's the pagans that run after these things? It's the people far from God, he tells us, that are running after these things. It's not the way it ought to be for you. Do you know that? Listen, Christian, if you're a follower of Christ here this morning, if that's you, do you know that you're supposed to be living different, thinking different than the world that doesn't know Jesus? Do you know it's supposed to have a significant and direct impact on the way you live? And this is one of those key ways. How is it that we get to think differently from those who are far from God? Well, he tells us, he says, listen, don't worry because life is more than material things. That's where he starts. Life is more than material things. That's what the, the people who are far from God, who he calls the pagans, they don't know that. They think this world is all there is, and he's saying, no, it isn't. In fact, just above it, in the paragraph above it, we're not going to look at it here, but he largely explains that we aren't supposed to be pursuing material wealth here in this day and age because it's useless. It, it, it's going to get stolen. It's going to dry up. It's going to be dead in the end. It's all going to burn in the final judgment of things. And so it makes no sense that we get wrapped up in all of those temporal things. But you see what it does is he's presupposing here a belief in another life. He's presupposing a belief in a different world, the eternal world. And he presupposes that we will understand that there are going to be rewards and there are going to be punishments attached to how we live this life in the next life, which means we could invest in the next life here for good or for bad. But you see, it presupposes another world which means we have to trust in what Jesus is telling us, that there is another world yet to come, and that we have to invest now in that unseen world, 
because the material things all around us are going to amount to nothing in the end. D.A. Carson, he puts it like this, it is a poor bargain which exchanges the eternal for the temporal, regardless of how much tinsel is used to make the temporal more attractive. Go ahead and jazz it up, whatever it is. Go ahead and add some, some sparkle, add some glitz to all of these temporal pursuits. Make that house a little nicer. Get the, the car with just a few more features. Pursue that extra policy that's going to just give you all the security you think you need in this life. Go ahead and sprinkle it, make all of these temporal things look a little better. And guess what in the end? They're all still temporal. They're all still going to be nothing in the end. Christians refuse to tie our happiness to material things. It's money or what money can buy or the things that we have, our food, even our clothing. They're, they're temporal and they're easily stolen they're easily lost, and in the end will amount to nothing. Then he goes on to say, don't worry, because God loves you with a protective and generous care. God gives the birds food. He clothes the flowers with exquisite beauty. And they don't toil. They don't store. When they need it, it's there for them. He says, if, if that's the way God treats them, how much more? Will he do for you? That's how he treats the grass. That's how he treats a, a, a little bird that seems of such little consequence to us. And God makes certain that they're under his protective care, his generosity, that they experience it new every day. And he says, God here, he's able to provide. And not only is he able to provide, he wants to provide. And often in excess of our need because of his generous bounty. And that's what he says right at the end of verse 30. Will he not much more clothe you? And it's expecting the answer that we say, yes, he will. That much more clothe and take care of me. But for that to happen, we need to trust in God's goodness and in his power. And then Jesus goes on to say, well, listen, don't worry. Well, because it's sort of idiotic, right? I mean, it doesn't really make sense to worry. Verse 27. Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Can any of us? No matter how much we fret, no matter how much we stay up late at night, no matter how much anxiety we generate, can you add just a, a single minute to your life? Can you add just a little more quality through all of that anxiety? Can you add any sort of depth to your relationships by worrying about it? Of course, he says, no, you can't. Because worry changes nothing. Can you tell that to the person next to you? Look at them right and they say, tell them with passion. Worry changes nothing. Tell to the other person on the other side of you as well because they need to hear it. Worry changes nothing. In fact, 
If you have someone in your life that you know is a worrier, you can take out your phone right now and go text that to them. You can put quote marks around it so they're like, how in the world did that come to me? You blame it on me later. But you can tell them, worry changes nothing. You could set up as an email reminder to yourself if you need to so that we can remember that worry changes nothing. I'm so scared. My doctor said I'm sick. They don't know what it is. I might die. Well, I can assure you of this. Whether you are sick or not, you are going to die. So every time I go to the doctor, I do this a lot when I come home. I go, my Cheryl says to me, hey, what did the doctor say? And I always say the same thing. Doctor said I'm going to die. He doesn't know when, doesn't know what's gonna, how it's going to happen, but he's certain I'm going to die. Do this almost every single time. Even if I go to the dentist, what did the dentist say? I'm going to die. When we leave our worry unchecked, when we leave all of these individual little worries, they end up coalescing into these dragons that we fear that even God can't slay. This whole series has been asking the question, what's the difference that Jesus makes? And what we're saying here is that the difference that Jesus makes is he's telling us, guys, you can't worry. Don't do it. It is a colossal waste. In order to do that, we have to experience the trust that makes the difference. Because the antidote to worry is trust. Trusting in the goodness and the power and the love of God. Trusting when he says, don't worry, he knows what he's talking about. Now, I used to think of worry and trust on a straight-up continuum. So on one side was worry, and on the other side was trust. And the idea was, if you simply trusted more, that you would experience no sense of worry or anxiety, right? Perfect love casts out fear. And so I would kind of tell myself that this is the way it would work, that ultimately, one time in life, I'll get to a place where I have no more worries and no more anxieties because I've, I've attained a, a depth of trust in Christ. And there is some, some great and, uh, truth in this idea, but I found it just a little bit more, a little bit too simplistic to capture how I really experience these things. And so I want to shift my continuum into a quadrant um, here uh, and talk about the quadrants on, you know, on two axes. You've got worry on one, high worry and low worry, and you have low trust in God, and you have high trust in God on the other side. And so here, and look, Chris gave me a pointer. I'm so happy. I have a pointer. And so he trusted me with a pointer. I'm like, hey. So, all right, so down here, I've got low trust and low worry. We have here withering apathy. And for withering apathy, what I mean is, you, you know folks like this, over the course of life, they don't seem to worry about anything. And at first, that might look like a really good thing. Like, oh, man, look at these people. They must, but that doesn't mean they have high trust. It might actually mean they just don't care. And you've, you've known people like this throughout their lives. There's no way to move them on to the next thing. There's no way to get them to take action against any sort of injustice. It could be rooted in depression. It could be rooted in the old sin of sloth. It could be that they lack the empathy that actually allows them to connect with another person's pain that gets them to the point where they'll say, oh my goodness, I have to do something about this. They have, they have no sense uh, of sort of an, of an anxiousness about them, and so they do nothing because they care not at all. And this isn't a great place to be. And this is where I guess you could say that worry could be a good thing. Now, and again, we're playing with the, with the definitions of some of these things here a little bit, but worry has saved many people from catastrophes over the years, right? Worry is how you don't get eaten by a lion in the jungle, right? You, you figure out, you're worried about it, so you figure out ways to not get eaten by a lion. And, and that applies in so many areas of life. And so you, you actually don't want to be in this withering kind of apathetic place. 
And you could kind of see it a little bit if I switch the word up. Instead of saying worry, which almost carries an immediate negative connotation, even anxiety does a little bit, but we could use to describe different words to describe really that similar emotional response uh, and change the word to say tension or angst or even concern. Now, if you think about it in that way, then you want some level of angst or concern because you need to get out of this box. The problem is, for many of us, as soon as we start to experience some sort of angst to get out of that quadrant, we pray and we even can ask God to awaken us in order to get us moving if you find yourself there. The problem is, it often pushes us right here. And I think this is where most of us live. We worry to death. And this means you have high worry, but you have low trust in Jesus. And I think that this really is what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about this excessive, debilitating, chronic worry that engulfs and robs our happiness. And when he says, don't worry, I think he's saying, this is what's going on here. You have high worries, but you have low trust in God. And he's saying that all the materials of this world, they amount to nothing because God loves you and he's taking care of you and the temporal things don't matter like you think they do. So don't be an idiot. Don't worry. Because it makes no sense. Unfortunately, I think this is where most of us spend most of our time. Worrying about a whole lot of things that matter very little. And it is a sinful disobedience that needs repentance. And I know that's an odd way of thinking about worry because it feels like an emotional response. And we think, oh, how can you control your emotional responses? And the scriptures tell us, listen, this is actually rooted in a lack of trust in God in his goodness or in his power, in his provision or his plan for your life. And so what we actually need to do is repent of it and say, Lord, rewire the way that I think about these things. Change my value so that I don't fret and worry about these. That they don't become idols that my happiness is attached to. We can trust in Jesus. And when that happens, our hope is that we get to go into the sweet spot down here. Right? This, is what the, this would be great. If you can go from worry down here into wonderful rest where we now have low worry and high trust and this works because we have now taken that worry and we've realized those weren't they were artificial worries they were fake they were lies from the enemy I don't need to worry about those things and so because of that we've actually moved to the sweet spot and my goodness this is a great place to be a great place to be when our sinful obsessive fearful worries are banished or at least increasingly minimized and we experience more and more of God's peace that passes understanding. This is a great place to be. And you should stay here as long as you can. Discipline yourself. Control your self-talk. Pray. Try to live at peace as best as you can. And enjoy this sweet spot of God's provision and care and love as often and as, as much as you possibly can. And then you get punched in the face. Life comes along and it does something that you weren't hoping for and you were certainly uh, not comfortable with. And in fact, now you've got to wrestle with God. This is, happens when someone you love is diagnosed with some sort of terrible or slowly debilitating disease or when you lose your job and you actually can't feed your kids. When you, you're going to have a forced retirement and you realize I can't actually keep the house if, if I don't have this job. 
It's when you're in that abusive relationship and you can't figure out how to get out because getting out is, is harder and more difficult than staying in it. And so you're stuck in this place of painful limbo. It's that wayward child who doesn't just break your heart, he breaks your heart anew every day. And so the tensions aren't just something that happened in the past that you can deal with, they hit you fresh every single morning. And at this point, trite bumper sticker slogans filled with Christianese and the shallow encouragements from immature Christians, they're going to ring even more hollow now because you have tasted real hurt, real suffering, real fear. Here's when you start to actually worry about your worry, right? You're like, wait, I'm not supposed to worry, but now I'm worrying, but I can't get away from it because every single day I'm faced with these new pressures and they're real and they're legit pressures and they're based on just the kind of suffering that happens in a broken world with broken people. But of course, worrying about your worry also isn't going to do you any good. But you're still in the midst of the fight and you might be for a good long time. These are very dark nights of the soul. And this is where deep faith will come into play. And it's here in this quadrant that you get to practice disciplined trust in Jesus. In fact, you can use your worry to drive you to Jesus. Rather than worry about your worry, take that worry and use it as the, the launch pad. Use it as the springboard you need to get back into a disciplined trust. Use your worry as the indication that something has gone wrong, that something is awry. Use it as the way to get back to the foot of the cross and do it through a disciplined trust in Jesus. And he tells us this in verse 33. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. See, it's him first, his kingdom first. Don't worry about the other stuff. Seek him first and know that he's going to take care of what else has to be taken care of. Whatever else is needed, it's going to happen. This is where we experience a deep repent, a repentance that says, I am not going to sin against God by failing to trust in him in these painful moments. I will not do it. This is where we commit ourselves again and again to trust and to follow him no matter what. And if you need to do that every single hour of the day, if you need to do that every single minute of the day, that's a disciplined trust in Jesus. And it will yield great rewards. Even when our hopes and our dreams in this world or maybe even in the world to come, are being dashed before our eyes. We can bring our worries to Jesus. We could bring it to him in prayer. We could bring it in meditation. If you're a journaler, write them out. Write them out and see. Maybe you'll find out that a whole lot of them are in the worry to death category, and you can just be done with them. And then you'll find some that aren't. And offer them. Take them out. When you have clarity about what they are, then take them back to the foot of the cross and in repentance. And in hope, continue to ask Jesus to help you to, to live this life of full surrender. You know, Jesus took worry out of our future. He secured your future for you. There's nothing to worry about. Nothing you, that can separate you from the love of God if you have trusted in Christ. And he took the shame out of our past through the forgiveness that he offered 
because of his death on the cross. And he has promised to be with us here in the present, providing whatever it is we need and reorienting us away from a life of artificial trinkets. He's promised that the abundance of heaven that he left to experience death in our place, that abundance of heaven and that joy of heaven will be ours for eternity and that these few light and momentary struggling years will amount to nothing from the vantage point of 10,000 years. Will you trust him in that? Because as a follower of Christ, you can kick this debilitating and unhealthy habit of worry. I'm going to ask, uh, Trevor's going to come up and get ready to bring us to the Lord's table here. And as he does, I just want us to pray. Would you just bow your heads as, uh, as I pray? Father, what I'm asking is for each person here, Lord, you know where we're at. You know what struggles we're facing. So many of the worries that we, we, we were, Lord, these aren't even legitimate. They're things that you don't want us to worry about. I pray that you would reveal them. Expose the lies of the enemy. Expose the frailty of our souls and help us embrace you in strength, Lord, that we don't worry ourselves to death anymore, but that we can, we can rest in your perfect peace and in your love, your care, your power for us, Lord. That's what we want. And Father, when that's not the reality, when, when the things that are causing the tension and the angst and the concern are real and ever-present and unrelenting, I pray, Lord, that we would use those very moments to drive deeper with you each person here, Lord, you know where they're at. You know the great burdens they've carried in. Father, I'm asking that you would use our time here. We come to the table, we sing your songs, Lord. We pray that you would use this time to heal our souls. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.